0: Ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later. The Homestarmy proudly presents Trekwest Five, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else we want to talk about. Trekwest Five is brought to you in part by RocketWebDesign.com, custom web design at template website prices. Designs by DD.blogspot.com. your online home for all your digital scrapbooking needs. Need a home along the Wasatch Front? Contact Lisa DeVageray with Kirkham and Friends Real Estate. No one will work harder for your home. And thehomestarmy.com, blogging to the world since 2004. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to Podcast 118. I am Peter. And I am Joey. And uh, welcome to the new and improved Clean Trek Quest 5. <laughs> Joey's taking an extra week to really clean up his act. <laughs> It'll be profanity free, vulgarity free, euphemism free. I, I like that uh, one of our listeners implied that my
1: gout attack was a, a result of <laughs> trying to censor myself. <laughs>
0: Uh, no, in all seriousness, that's not why we took an extra week. <laughs> Although we we really are going to try and, and clean ourselves up. it's a good reminder, and yeah. I appreciate yeah. uh, the Bobs kind of... Uh, Calling us out? Yeah, putting us in check. I, I appreciate that. And uh, like I said, any suggestions, we'd be happy to to listen to them. But Joey really did have a gout attack, and gout won for a while. <laughs> um but uh it would appear that you've you've beaten the back yeah for, um, for the time being yes Thank, oh, thanks thanks yeah. to the wonders of modern medication <laughs> yeah uh which uh, I really don't feel like you had given my suggestion any you know real thought what was your suggestion in order to get rid of the gout i suggested that you just get Aaron to suck out the poison <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I didn't seriously consider that at any point. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, we haven't given our intern enough credit in the past. Yeah, he's, he's a pretty handy, useful guy. Yeah, unfortunately, it's crystallized inside the joint, so I don't know how Aaron would, you know... I think he could get a straw in there somehow. <laughs> oh, that would hurt so bad. <laughs> yeah, I just think about, like, poking around inside the joints. That would really, really hurt Anyway, you you were moving around. you know, a little slow, but just uh, for the most part, you look like you know, like hey, it's just regular old. It, Joey. it feels like kind of a mild sprain at this point,
1: yeah. whereas uh, from last Thursday oh, that's afternoon, Gout feels like
0: I have an actual
1: sprain in my ankle. <laughs> that's what Gout feels like right now. <laughs> yeah. there, I could
0: totally <laughs> handle that. There was a point for about three days that I I really didn't get out of bed very much. <laughs> as uh, as you mentioned over dinner tonight. Yeah, I pretty much laid around and moaned. Yeah. <laughs> I think my wife got sick of that pretty quick. <laughs> uh, I can just imagine you just laying there. Well, any time you shift the muscles at all,
1: it rubs against those crystals. And so, and you, you would not believe the number of times you make
0: minute shifts in the position of your foot. Oh, yeah, I I, I can, actually. <laughs> I can believe that completely uh but anyway i'm glad that you're doing better i think most of our listeners are glad you're doing better there's a couple of them that i think we're probably just happy to let you kind of go off and, <laughs> to, to and not return for the team. <laughs> not return to the podcast <laughs> um yeah anyway uh welcome back um anything that you want to uh, bring up No. Nope. ahead of time we're good to go no we're good to go okay uh let's go into facebook find of the week then um, or Facebook Find of the Two Weeks. Facebook Find of the Week and some portion thereof. <laughs>
1: uh, we're going to go with the uh, acoustic version of the Metallica song. Oh, wow. Okay. That was really, really cool. The, the way she used the guitar as a percussion instrument, banging
0: on it and stuff, Yeah, blew my mind. Absolutely. I felt like there was another sort of guitar that was being played somewhere while the two of them were playing it. Because I was watching him like, Okay, I'm picking up some other tunes I, that, that the, the two of you are not putting out right now. That's that's what I... And so I got the impression
1: that that, that somehow she was doing oh, that... really? ...with the way she was hitting on that guitar, which was what I found so impressive. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is actually a third guitar off camera or something. But my understanding... What, the impression I came away with was that we're supposed to get that she is somehow using the... the banging on the side of the guitar with the way she's positioning her fingers to actually get sound out of the strings. Mm. I would be impressive if that were the
0: case. That would be really impressive. That's why I was so impressed. <laughs> <laughs> um okay, uh let's see here. Uh, I was a little surprised. I I really enjoyed well, truthfully, Facebook find of the week for this week was pretty much all Dean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he had told me about, ahead of time. He's like uh yeah, I've been trying to limit myself to you know one thing a week. I'm like, oh, okay, sure, uh, you know, you putting out your best thing. Then he meant a day. <laughs> it felt like that. <laughs> I mean, he, he spammed it. But a couple of those things were really cool. There were some cool things in there. Uh, excuse me. The uh, the the image of uh, used the force, Harry, quoted by quoted Gandalf. Gandalf, with a picture of Patrick Stewart there. Just genius. Uh, and then also the uh, the people who put together the, the Lego stuff, I would have thought for sure those two would have been in the running. They were for sure. I, I, I actually I
1: I also really enjoyed the floppy drives. The the guy who managed to yeah you mentioned run that. those floppy drive controllers to the point that he could actually tune them to get a sound effect out of them. That is absolutely amazing.
0: Yeah, I enjoyed I, that one as well. I wasn't that super impressed with it. I was like. I don't know, whatever, you just program something in there to make the little disky thing move. <laughs> <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> um, okay, so who actually won Facebook Find of the Week? I, I can't even remember who had posted that. I Was know, that Bob or Cy? I have to check. <clears throat> it was Listener Brainy Smurf. Oh, Brainy Smurf, so not Bob and not Cy. <laughs> that means we have to come up with a fourth award. Oh really? Uh oh. Hasn't he gotten three? I can't remember. He at this has. Part. One he has ones. gotten three. Is he the one that took his third third prize? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. He okay. really, really did. Um, but we had we'd had, had a couple of
1: other ideas, yeah.
0: so I I think we can come up with
1: uh, Yeah, you you asked me to do one that I think I can probably.
0: Get you together think together you can put week. that together? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, Alright Let's uh, Now if you don't mind Before we go into Joey's Culture Corner We're gonna We're gonna cover A little email here If that's okay Yep Brainy Smurf Says greetings to Smiths And Nash's Johns New listeners And Welcome To the new members Of the newly established Brainy Smurf's Army of Braination (laughs) I like how he says Johns and he's, he doesn't spell John like John Madsen does, He because John just spells his name J-O-N. Yeah. J-O-H-N. So it kind of makes me think like he's, you know, talking to somebody else. Okay. Maybe he just didn't know. Oh, I didn't think about that. Okay. On to Brady Smurf's <laughs> army of Braination. Um, he says, you see what happens when you dudes take a week off? <laughs> Don't worry, everything is under control. We have maintained a copacetic atmospheric status during the Overlord's absence, and from all of Bray Nation, we wish Joey a Gioquale. Why the... Okay, he, he did put something in here. That uh, uh, Okay, I appreciate that he put in a little pronunciation for me, still, still not- don't know how to pronounce it! <laughs> I feel so ashamed. You should. You should. <laughs> well let's see if you can pronounce it. It's uh, right there off the first paragraph. Gio Quile. See I'm not sure if that's like I, like you know, EYE, or if that's Quay? Quay. Quay. Uh, Quayle. Oh. <laughs> <Quay-ally>. <laughs> Like such a dope. <laughs> Look, start spending in Spanish stuff. I know how to pronounce that. <laughs> uh, and you got the French down pretty good too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh well. Anyway, translated as "Happy Foot." Oh. Okay. Happy Foot. Um, so, if you don't know, uh, so if you don't know now, you know. And if you don't know by now, hello. My name is Brainy Smurf. And I serve as the Overlord's ambassador to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> didn't know we needed one of those. Do we have an office there? <laughs> I wasn't aware we had one, but uh, it's nice to know we've got, uh, you know, wherever the dark side is located at. We've got, uh, you know, some sort of, uh, okay. um, uh, what do they call those? Um, Emba- embassy? Embassy. That's the word I'm looking for.
1: We've got an embassy I almost there. said ambassadorial suite. I, <laughs> I realized that was probably not what you were going Yeah, for. The, the
0: words I was coming up with, I knew I was wrong too. Um, many thanks for all those who uh, commented on Brainy, uh, Brainy's first NOD submission. Uh, and now for his uh, this week's installment of Brainy's Nook of Darkness. <laughs> this week we have the no- novel Lullaby by Chuck Pal- Palahniuk. Thank you. I think I got that pronunciation down. He gave me another pronunciation. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be awesome. (laughs) Uh, The author wrote this novel, published in 2002, as he contemplated capital punishment. One would never know from reading this book, but more to the point, Chuck wrote it while his father's murderer was on trial. The father and his father's girlfriend were killed by her ex-lover in cold blood in 1999 so this novel is slightly dark. <clears throat> the narrative flows from the author's catharsis through grieving, but the story contains no direct allegories to that end. The novel is commonly described as satire horror, but I feel that the story also bleeds into the realm of sci-fi, pun intended. Time-wise, the narrative structure is temporarily, temporally... Uh, convoluted, as the author intended. The speaker is mostly a narration of the protagonist spliced with flashbacks and flash sideways to various characters. The time frame constantly jumps everywhere, serving to reinforce a deeper metaphor within the story. The protagonist is a journalist named Streeter. He is doing a story that leads him to investigating mysterious cases of SIDS, in different parts of the country quickly he discovers every death scene to have a book of nursery rhyme poems open to a specific page and to the same poem this ancient african poem is the culling song and when in the words and when in the words are recited whomever hears these words save the reciter instantly dies or so he thinks but he needs to test his theory So, he then tries the poem out on his boss, who in turn instantly croaks. Success! And no evidence! But that is some crazy power. Knowing this idea to be initially perceived as outlandish, the author immediately spends a few pages hypothetically musing about a world where the sound of words could be used as a weapon. No one would feel safe in the outside world without ear protection, lest some crazy terrorist launches a random sonic attack. Just imagine, uh, infomercials for sound protection devices and filtration systems, and the creation of a new cabinet position in the White House for Department of Sonic Security. <laughs> Everyone would wait to see the approved government seal before listening to or watching any TV or radio broadcast. Overall, Lullaby is a wild ride of a reed, packed with crazy characters such as an unscrupulous realtor who creates fictitious hauntings to manipulate property values, a terrifying vegetarian Wiccan, and a class-action lawsuit pyramid schemer named Oyster. I give it four out of five red glowing shadow eyes. Okay. <laughs> um, I would be interested to know... Um, it, I, I, granted, I'm guessing this is a, a book of fiction. Yeah, he said it's a novel. Yeah, not not nonfiction. Uh, but I'm wondering if he has like, an overall message that he's trying to put across in this. Or if this was, look, I'm going through a weird phase, I'm I'm just going to write some something and it comes out this, like, really weird story. Gotcha. I wonder if there's, as I like to, as it's been suggested by some of our other listeners, what's the big idea with, with your uh, Culture Corner stuff? I wonder if this author had a big idea well, with I, this spe- uh, specific book. I'm betting that by using the word catharsis... Brainy Smurf has already
1: attempted to answer that. A catharsis would be, I just need to get this stuff out of my system. Not necessarily having a point to it, but you're just kind of purging emotionally.
0: Right. So it's a form of... Um, coping. Yeah. It's a coping to, mechanism. Just writing it out and, and hoping that the uh, the emotions are going to bleed out with it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was uh, good. So now we'll move on to Joey's Culture Corner. Well, I'm, I'm sure glad I picked what I did this week. <laughs> I picked much lighter fare for Joey's <laughs> Culture Corner of the sea.
1: Have you ever heard of a guy named Pat McManus? Yeah, I sure have. So I for, love I love Pat McManus. So for Joey's Culture Corner of the sea, I'm going to recommend any of the works by Pat McManus. <laughs> uh, specifically, my favorite is one called The Night the Bear Ate Goomba. Yeah, that's a great story. Uh, and actually, in that collection of stories, that he, my favorite story that he tells is one called Sequences. I don't know if you remember this one.
0: My, this no is where he says my
1: head. when you live on a farm you can't ever get anything done because in order to get something done you have to start something first but but in order to start it there's this long sequence of events that it, once you start thinking about the sequence of events that lead up to the thing you want to do it actually becomes an infinitely long chain of events <laughs> and you can't ever get anything done <laughs> <laughs> um and the example that he gives he says you know my, my stepfather came to me one day and said, Hey, you want to go fishing? I said, Yeah, let's go fishing. He said, Okay, but we need to fix the hole in the fence first. <laughs> and I sighed and I said, Which is it? Are we going fishing or are we fixing the hole in the fence? And then he proceeds to walk his stepfather down. The mental process of saying, Well, in order to fix the hole in the fence, we have to go get some fence. And we have to go get some staples. And we have to go get our wire stretcher from the Thompson's farm. And we have to go get our post hole digger from you know the Brodies, and oh by the way, next time we went into town, you said you'd haul a load of hay for so and so, and oh yeah, well if we're going to go to town, we need to get the spare tire over at this shop. But before you go get the spare tire at this shop, you have to go over to this other person's house and and lays out this sequence of events, and he says, so which is it? Are we going fishing or are we getting nothing done today? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so this is a this is a humorist.
0: He he writes about oh yeah he, he, camping fishing. Humor. And just kind of Americana. He's an outdoorsy guy. He actually wrote for uh, for a long time for Field and Stream. Yep, magazine. Yeah, hilarious stuff. And and I especially think that it
1: would be really funny to get uh, feedback from listener side or the Bobs. (laughs) You know, where, where there's so such a cultural gap now that you know it would be interesting to see that as they read that and think. Yeah, that's what I
0: think Americans are like. Or, <laughs> you, you know, uh, I, I'm curious how uh, SpongeBob. She grew up in Georgia, or at least she's from there. Um, she I, may I'm, be familiar. I'm curious if she grew up in city or if she grew up in a farm atmosphere. Because when I think of Britain, England, Ireland, Scotland, sure. Wales, I think for the most part city life. You know, I, I don't think about people who are you know out working on the farm. Yeah. It's, it's you don't not, think about the sheep farms. Right? I don't think it's heavily, you know, a, a large agricultural area. You know, it's, geographically, it's very small, comparatively to the United States. So I'm curious if they would, if a lot of the humor would just go flying past them. They're like, <laughs> I have no idea what, a trailer hitch? Why are you writing this, the, the, you know, this long explanation about trailer hitches when Anybody who's ever worked with a trailer hitch in a trailer knows those things are invented by the devil. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love Pat McGannis. Uh, matter of fact, uh, I can't remember if I've mentioned this before, but uh, we used to read as a family together when I was growing up. So oftentimes, usually on a Sunday night, um, we would just like go pile up on my parents' bed, and we would read stories. Well, a lot of times we were we would read the Patrick McManus stories. Okay, and so we, it, you know, it was supposed to be this. Okay, this is a nice way to spend the Sabbath, you know, this quiet way. We'll 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 read a book together. We were so like amped up and just rowdy. Uh, rowdy, yeah. Uh, after reading these things, there was no way that we were staying uh, <laughs> a religious in any sense of the word. Um, I, I love them. I they are fantastic. Okay. I, I couldn't even point to a favorite story that I have. Um, but uh, I was actually, last week, was on Patrick McManus's website. Oh, I didn't even know the guy had a website. Yeah, he's got one. He does, <laughs> he's, he and his wife apparently have a blog individually on, on the website. Plus, you know, he sells the books and uh, sure. other things. Um, I'm considering getting my dad a, uh, like a hat. Uh, that he sells on there of uh, to Rancid Crabtree. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> which is one of the characters. Yeah, Rancid Crabtree is one of the the characters. Man, I, it, I didn't know I, you I, were a Pat McManus fan. Oh, that's, huge, huge fan that's of great. His. Yeah. I, I've read all of the books, uh, all of them, and uh, I was just thinking it's been a long time since I've read them. Well, if you need to borrow them, I've got them all on my bookshelf. Do you? Yeah. yeah. I'm surprised I've never noticed that you had them there. Anyway, great job. I'm assuming you give a thumbs up. up. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Huge, (laughs) huge thumbs up uh, to that. Um, Okay, we will go into episodes then. We are going to cover episodes 13 through 16 of Babylon 5 Season 4. And we'll go ahead and start off with uh, rumors, bargains, and lies. Sheridan tricks the League of Non-Aligned
1: Worlds into demanding that the Rangers act as a common police force.
0: Delenn attempts to avert civil war. Okay, um... This wasn't an awesome episode.
1: Uh, okay. I, I, I can see your point there. Let's start with the script book here, though. Okay. Uh, you're going to find out why I posted the Marx Brothers film. Did I you realized. ever go? Did
0: you ever go and read my comment? By yes, the way? I did go read your comment. Okay, <laughs> just so you're—I just wanted you to know ahead of time I wasn't a huge fan of that. Okay. <laughs> that uh, I, I so. think it's funny. I thought it was amusing. He, here's what J. Michael
1: Straczynski says: As summer 1996 turned into fall and then winter, word came down to confirm officially what we'd been hearing as a rumor for some time: TNT would be picking up the rerun rights to Babylon Five once it finished its first run episodes. TNT, that's Turner Network Television, a uh, uh, station here in the U.S. Specifically, the four years of Babylon 5, the idea of a fifth year was still off the boards as far as Warner Brothers was concerned. Meetings were scheduled between us and that network's creative representatives, and it was made clear that they wanted to start their reruns with a bang sufficient to bring in new viewers and entice our prior viewers to return. When asked what they thought would constitute a sufficiently sized bang, they said, what about a made, an original made-for-TV Babylon 5 movie. (laughs) We and WB countered with, how about four movies? This way you can have one new movie to drop in as each season rolls up, to spike viewer interest over the course of the run. TNT thought this had the potential to be a great idea, but wanted to know more details before pulling the trigger. What would the movies be about? I suggest the first one could be both a prequel and a sequel at the same time, to tie all five seasons into one big tapestry so you could get a snapshot view of the whole thing and show how intricately all the threads were interwoven. They nodded silently across the table for a moment, then one of them said, How are you going to do that? (laughs) Dunno, I said. Let me think about it. Oh, and I can probably give you something with a cool monster in it. The monster idea they got. (laughs) The other stuff,
0: well, that would take a
1: while. The meeting began to taper off. I promised to get them outlines, or at least quick premises, on the TV show, TV movies in short order, and we were about to adjourn when Doug Netter made his move. I haven't talked about Doug much because most of his activities took place in the shadows between the studio, the network, and the Babylon Five stages. Is that
0: pun intended?
1: <laughs> I don't think so. No. Uh, D- Douglas Netter is a good friend of Straczynski's. This meant that Doug spent a lot of his time on the phone frequently answering calls that began with the words, Have you seen what Joe's done now? <laughs> Doug is an old fashioned studio guy who even ran MGM back in its heyday. He helped bring Lawrence of Arabia to fruition. And if there's one skill that Doug has over me, it's his ability to be political and in knowing how to game the system. Things I cannot understand no matter how hard I try. In the face of corporate, studio, or network mendacity, my first reaction is to lower my head and charge in like a bull. (laughs) Double take the hindmost. Doug knows how to talk to to people, even if they are dunderheads. (laughs) Doug can be charming. Me, I would never stoop to that kind of behavior. (laughs) But there are times when that can work in your favor, provided the moment is right. And just as the first major meeting with TNT was breaking up, Doug picked his moment and tootsie-fruitsied the network. To explain... Go out and pick up a copy of the Marx Brothers movie, A Day at the Races. So then he, he proceeds to explain the scene that I linked in Facebook. By the end of the scene, Groucho is weighed down with a ton of books. He's missed the race, and Chico has placed a winning bet with his money. Groucho's summation is, looks like I'm the one who got Tootsie Frootsied around here. So we're finishing up with TNT. Doug says how great it is that TNT has picked up the series, and adds, almost as an offhand comment, Too bad about the ending... What do you mean? So the network? Well, it is a five-year story. You got everything but the last year. You've got a story without an ending. (laughs) Wait, we thought five years was a goal, not that it was a five-year story, the network said and looked at me. Is this true? Is it a five-year story? I was stunned by the question, since I'd made it clear to everyone for years that this was a five-year arc. I couldn't believe that TNT hadn't been briefed on this, in large measure because WB Business Affairs had told me the network had been briefed on this, and the road was closed. So I said, yeah, absolutely. Go online and see for yourself. It has always been planned to be a five-year story. WB jumped in quickly, concerned we might be screwing up the deal. My sense at the time was that the studio's business affairs guys might have kept the full story to themselves so that they could say they were going out into the marketplace with a full package. We didn't know that for sure until this moment. You'll have an ending to the show, the the WB folks told them. We told him to wrap up the story in season four. True, Doug said. It's going to be a good wrap up, no mistake, but it's not really the same as having an ending. It's not complete. If you really wanted the whole show, you should buy the reruns and buy the new TV movies and pay for a fifth season. The network reps conferred quietly among themselves for a moment. We have to think about this, they said, and hurried out of the conference room. Doug had tootsie frutsyed TNT. Over the coming months, he would continue to work on them, determined to get a fifth season out of it. To be perfectly honest, I had grave doubts about whether or not this would succeed. WB had told us definitively to finish off the show in season four, and it's rare for any series to come back after an internal cancellation order. Nor did I have time to dwell on the question. We were coming into the production hiatus where everyone but me would be off duty for a while, and I had to focus on writing the last half of the fourth year. What I had been told would be the last year. I had to write them with that in mind and the scripts had to be airtight, which meant they would have to be written in a streak, jumping from one to the next to the next, writing as fast as I could, not just for a deadline, but in order to keep creative momentum going. Everything from rumors on would be written, performed, and paced at a dead run, and it required my full concentration. But in the final weeks leading up to the hiatus, something else appeared on my radar screen. WB called for a meeting with myself, Doug, and John Copeland, to discuss a possible sequel series. Babylon 5 had done very well for WB financially, and they thought that a companion or sequel series would also do well for them. But if Babylon 5 has done so well for WB, I said, then the obvious question is, why not do the fifth year? Well, then it'd just be one more year of a known show, they said. B5 has been around for four years now. We want to go out into the market with something new. So the question we'd ask is, do you have another story you'd like to tell? And that is where Crusade came from. So there's a Babylon Five Crusade that lasted about half a year. Terrible, in my opinion, it wasn't worth watching. But that is that is where it all came about. So that's why I linked the uh, this is the thing. And you know, we talked about how this is he wrote this to be the end. Maybe people were starting to wonder how did there get to be a fifth season? I, I think that starts to tell us a little bit of the story.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, well done to Douglas Netter for uh, having the uh, the mind to be able to do that. Yeah. Because uh, that's pretty ingenious. It really <laughs> is. Um, okay, so the episode itself, as I mentioned before you started reading that, I didn't really love that much. The the whole premise Sheridan. where it, where it starts with with Sheridan acting the way that he is. Yeah. And he doesn't tell anybody any part of the plan and just acts like, in my opinion, a total jerk. I agree. It, it just is not consistent with the character. I, there's no reason why he can't tell Marcus why he's out there. Who's Marcus going to tell anyway? <laughs> you know, I, I really don't ever see any of the, uh, the Mimbari who are coming off of the White Stars, like, gossiping in the bar, considering the fact that None of them speak English, as far as we know, or sorry, common, or you know, whatever Inter-lack. language. Interlac. Uh, uh,
1: if I can wear the apologist gout foot here for a second, I <laughs> think you will be the only one wearing that. <laughs> uh,
0: the,
1: the only thing I've ever come up with over the years that I feel like okay, maybe this could make sense is he was trying to put his staff in a state of anxiety because it would further his goal of you know, trying to manipulate, when really that's what he's doing. He's manipulating everyone.
0: Yeah, his his big idea, I'll use reverse psychology. <laughs> These racers are all too stupid to figure this out. And I, I just, I, I don't believe that people can become spacefaring races and end up that incredibly buffoonly stupid. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> Anyway, I, I was frustrated with that whole portion of the the episode. The other stuff was okay. Like, the Mimbari stuff, I, I I enjoyed that story. And I I can't even... Like, looking back on it now, even though, yeah, it's been like a week and a half since I watched it, I, I can't think of anything in there that I didn't really like. Or that there, I had a problem.
1: With. There was one thing that I had a problem with here with... It's just something oh, that... Oh,
0: yeah, there there was. Sorry, go there,
1: on. There, there, there's something... That I can never seem to reconcile no matter how many times I watched this series it's the lens actual position in society because in one episode she is able to instruct the entire Minbari race to go commit Xenocide. genocide couple episodes later she doesn't even have the authority to speak as an ambassador a few episodes later she is uh, what was the other example I wrote down some examples here um, her, uh, she's being chastised. Oh no, she breaks the great council, right? Yeah. And then a few episodes after that, she's get call- getting called before the elders of her own clan for her, you know, physical love interest in Captain Sheridan, and, and it just they, 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 she keeps going back and forth. Oh yeah. Oh here, she comes in and she's like, J- just an episode or two ago, I was hauled up on charges of misconduct in front of the elders of my clan. But I can commit the entire religious caste to protecting Nerun. And they will do it because I told them to do it. And so there's, it's just, It's a little weird, yeah. It's, it's a little hard for me to figure out, you know, is it just that's the way their society works? And just because you're on top today doesn't mean you're on top tomorrow? Or, anyway, it, it's just a, a, a strange
0: device that's used in
1: storytelling.
0: But. I had never really picked up on it, but you, you bring up an excellent point. Uh, and I'm glad you did I, I I did write down a couple of notes that I found a little odd they talk about the old problems from back you a know, thousand when, years ago when Valen came and said hey this is how it should all be which by the way ha, ha, why did everybody start following Valen because he showed up at that space station in the Vorlons okay I, I, you're right I forgot that would be pretty awesome <laughs> hey, well, holy crap who's this guy Nirun, I don't know who he is, but I'm following him. He's got a space station. He's got a space station. He knows the future. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, anyway, so the old problems, quote-unquote. After a thousand years? They haven't died. Really? Done. <laughs> Like, these people are, like, worse than, you know, a a Jewish mother who, you know, sits back and says, oh, you're painting me with all this, why, you know, who can't let things go, you know, she just holds on to it for the rest of her life and uses it as some sort of guilt trip on her her children. A thousand years. These people must be holding on to these things for ridiculous amounts of time. Yeah, I, I can get that they might be frustrated from the... Oh, well, the religious craft you know we're we always you know we're just always supposed to sacrifice that's what we do um, and I could I could get a sense that some people might be a little upset about that like nah eh, you know what I don't want to have to do that anymore I'm to go have fun I'm gonna go shoot some things um, but it just seemed odd that a thousand yeah. years they're still remembering the these issues. The other question, I I don't have a problem with this, but I I am confused. Delenn is supposed to be the chosen of Ducat. Yes. But when did he choose her, and for what did he choose her? (laughs) It seems a little like we're fast and loose here, because Ducat just kind of dies out of nowhere. Like, it's all of a sudden, everything's going along. Dukat's awesome, he's leading the council, and he's smarter and better than everybody else, and bam, he's dead. When did he choose to lend to do what? That will be answered a little bit when we watch uh, In the Beginning. Oh, no, oh, I don't get my answer now. You will. All right. You have the movies. Sit down and watch it tonight. I can't do that. <laughs> I can't watch it out of order. Um, anyway, I, I just... It seemed a little weird going around there. Uh, out of all the manipulation that happens in this episode, there's
1: one that I'm absolutely okay with and I actually enjoy Sheridan manipulating Londo. You know, oh, okay. The, the, like, Londo's like, what? You, you just asked me to agree to this with Jakar, and now you're telling me not to talk about it? Look, there's a lot of things about humans that I don't understand, but this one, this one takes the cake, sir. <laughs> And just the idea that, you know, Lando, with his scheming and his crafty as he has been portrayed for four seasons, that Sheridan can kind of pull one over on
0: him. I enjoyed that. Okay. Uh, let's see here. The Lanier thing. Okay. After, I think, what is a day or two, Lanier is up walking around after a lung has been removed. A piece of a lung. I wrote down, a lung is removed, because I, I swear that's what they said. They didn't say a piece of lung. Like, hey, we had to remove one of your lungs. Like, we had to take it yeah, out. Maybe. I thought they said a piece of lung, but I can't remember now. If Either only I, way... I, only I had a script book. <laughs> Either way, it's what I would consider pretty major surgery. Dude's up and going after a couple days? Yeah, I'm with you. Anyway... Um, I don't have anything more to say about the episode beyond that. You really don't have to look up the whole okay. thing. All right. Um, let's see if I... The,
1: the other thing that, that really starts to strike me in this episode, I think it's because we're really finally getting to see how Minbari society works. But And I think it's kind of along the, the lines of what you were talking about, but the, the way I wrote it down is the Minbari are kind of drama queens. As a race, I mean they are like. I think we're going to see that a little bit more in the next episode. Well, but... we'll continue to see it, but as we get more and more information about the Minbari, we see they they have no filter. They have no half measures. <laughs> Everything is like, oh, we're at war. This war will not end until we have bathed ourselves in blood. You know, or you know, it, this this thing has to exhaust itself in the complete elimination of another race or another caste. They they don't they don't do anything. And say, okay, that's good enough. They're like, no, nope, no, nope, you have to completely wipe out the other person. Hey, I like that. They're all in. <laughs> Amen. Uh, it was just, it's just a little strong how every single thing that they talk about, it's always 100% uh, at the dramatic end of the scale. And there's never, you know, they're like, hey, that was a good meal. <laughs> <laughs> huh, yeah, that was okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, passable.
1: Yeah. Uh I like that in this episode, you know, we've talked about this before, in in TV shows, in several of the TV shows, where people are having what you would consider kind of a privileged or maybe secret conversation at full volume in a <laughs> wide open room. <laughs> yeah. That finally has an impact. Somebody's like, I was walking past the lens chambers and I heard him telling, I heard her telling Neroon such and such. She's gonna, she's gonna...
0: Um. You know, I kind of thought of that as more like this dude was eavesdropping. Uh, regardless, they were in that room
1: and it's a wide open room. They're talking at full volume. I thought, finally! Finally, that comes
0: back to bite us. Yeah, we, we, it was so <laughs> dramatically seen in the West Wing all those times. Yeah. You know, and Toby is you know walking down the hallway shouting about this thing, and don't tell anybody whatever you do! <laughs> <laughs> oh, cat's out
1: of the bag. Um, and we see again in this episode that when Someone's life is in danger or when someone's incredibly ill, someone always lights a candle. It's a constant theme throughout Babylon 5. Just thought I'd point it out again. So as as Lanier is laying there and, and Delyn doesn't know if he's going to survive it yet or not, she's standing there, she's lighting a candle. To burn away what little
0: oxygen remains around him <laughs> to kill him. Or maybe not.
1: Listen to comments?
0: Yeah, listen to comments. Uh, let's see here. Let's go with uh, money bags to start off with. Um, hey guys. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Joey, I think you're misremembering events from Battle of the Line. Last week, you said Delenn's capture of Sinclair was to try and prevent the massacre of humanity. Delenn captured Sinclair to interrogate him about Earth's defenses, not to have a chat about the value of humanity. If she had been trying to learn more about humanity, why did they torture Sinclair? She also had no idea that the Triluminary would detect Valen's soul. She wasn't trying to end the war. If she wanted to learn more about humanity, she had plenty of opportunities before humanity was on the brink of extinction. From in the beginning, this shouldn't be spoilery, we see that Earth begins broadcasting their surrender and a plea for mercy well before the Battle of the Line. Delenn didn't bother to try... ...to open communication at this point. Anyway, on to the episodes. Okay. It's been a a long
1: time since I've seen... uh, ...in the beginning. I've only watched it actually the one time. So I'm fully willing to believe
0: that I'm misremembering what happened there. (laughs) Okay. Um, Let me just say this. Moneybags, go easy on him. He just had a gout attack... (laughs) So just, could you tone no, no, it down no, no, a little no. bit, please? I, I, I need the intellectual, intellectual honesty here. It <laughs> <laughs> has nothing to do with my ankle. <laughs> um, uh, let's hear uh Rumors, bargains, and lies. Sheridan. I don't like the Sheridan in this episode. In fact, I don't like the comedic tone of the whole plot. Especially when the League decides there must be an invisible enemy that could be standing right next to them. Right. Because there's no chance the white stars were doing training exercises, right? Sheridan usually doesn't play, uh, display cunning like this, and it just feels wrong. Good scene with Londo, though. I wonder if I could get a ringtone of Londo saying, Zooty, Zoot Zoot. <laughs> Londo and Jakar should form a comedy team. Oh, wait. That's what they do in season five. <laughs> Mimbari plot. I don't like how they have Neroon standing be, behind his goons the first time we see him. It makes him look like a coward. And who heads the religious caste? Is it Delenn? If so, how is she so out of touch? I know a lot's been happening, but you think someone would have shot her an email once in a while? <laughs> if she's not, how is she negotiating with Neroon? Boy, it's a good thing the Mimbari had their top secret meeting in an open corridor. Otherwise, Lanier might not have heard them. Oh well, still a good plot. Do you guys think Lanier did the right thing by not telling Delenn? I think it was the right thing for the wrong reasons. Delenn may have felt obligated to tell Narun what happened, causing more problems. But his reason for not wanting to destroy Delenn's Pollyanna view of the world seems silly to me. I would
1: I would agree that he did the right thing for the wrong reasons, and I I think it's interesting that he puts it that way because if we go back to Comes the Inquisitor, it was Lanier who told Sheridan, if you do the right thing for the wrong reason, the work becomes destructive and thus self-defeating, and over the course of the next season and a half, watch what, what happens to the character of Lanier and trace it back to him doing the right thing for the wrong reason in this episode.
0: Wow, so you think the story stayed consistent then? I think it did. Okay, I don't remember it well enough, so I have no idea. But I'm willing to call you a liar nonetheless. (laughs) Um, Okay, so on to Brainy Smurf. Lanier quote of the week... uh, Sorry, he starts off... Rumors, boneheads, and whatever. Lanier quote of the week... I smelled a discharge. (laughs) Let's call this episode... (laughs) Lanier smells a discharge. I like details, especially in sci-fi. I always wish for sci-fi to pay attention to the uh, cuisine of various alien cultures. Most of the time we get little more than factoids, such as Romulan ale is pungently blue, and the Ferengi love a bowl of fresh tube grubs. When it comes to human, human cultures, uh, or sorry, earth cultures, Food rituals offer a myriad of insight into the values and traditions of an ethnic group or a culture. Don't Mormons fast uh, once every month? That's correct. We do? Yeah. Moving on, as JSM has noted many times, our diversities serve to codify a stronger sense of resolve for us as a people. What better narrative device to deliver this sentiment than the breakfast club? So as this opens, I was pretty sure that JMS was not giving a shout-out to the late, great John Hughes. I was, however, really hoping for some description of what was piled on the trays that the four senior staff members are holding as they bid the box a good morning. I swear that Marcus is eating pancakes. Has food gotten better since we can't afford uh, bacon and eggs days? Did Jakar, serving, um, uh, did Jakar serving of the Swedish meatballs signify a transition in the reputation of the Babby Five kitchen? Who is the chef in the Babby Five <laughs> kitchen? And Joey, do not tell me the, uh, that this story is not about the food, because amongst the many things that Babby Five is not about, I'm sure that it is at least about the box. And he loves orange juice. And so does Edgar's. What does this mean? Not much for the characters. J.M.S. must t- uh, must be too busy writing every episode to worry about foodborne-related consistencies. <laughs> and is Delenn totally dissing Lanier? She says to Narun, But I would rather have someone who opposed me out of honest belief in righteousness of his cause than someone who was always at my side because it was expected, required. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. I disagree with that. I think Lanier's quote of the week should be an image of him flipping the Delenn a bird.
2: Ding!
0: By the way, we've retired the uh, sci-fi bell. (laughs) Um. Anyway, Sci-Fi 1, TV 6... Add one point to the sci-fi rating for any details I may have missed as to what the ideology of the warrior cast is. Any symbols for either side of the war, or any pertinent details about the Minbari Civil War and what it means. Care to add points? I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I should have read the email
1: beforehand. and I probably could have prepared something, but...
0: I don't know. I feel like he sent this email in a little late, so... Uh, yeah, 650... Man, you, you barely made it in in time, Brainy Smurf. <laughs> After all, you had two weeks to get this in. <laughs> it's not like we didn't Hold give on. you guys a chance. No, only kidding. Uh, Science fiction. Piece. Science fiction. I'm going to go with a five on this. Wow, really? Yeah, but I'm, I'm starting to wonder why I wrote a five. You mean you think that's too high? I do think that's too high. Interesting. I actually went with a six the...
1: The Minbari culture, the d- deep view into the Minbari culture I thought was was pretty good. We're getting okay. some real hard information now about the background and the history of Minbari culture. Okay. Especially you know Dalin's sitting there in the in the chair looking at what I can only imagine is home movies. <laughs> <laughs> Minbari home movies. And she's talking to Lanier and they talk about their cities and, and things like that. I thought there was some good sci
0: fi in there. Okay. Uh, I would agree there is sci fi, not sure I'd call it good. Okay. Uh, for television, I'm going to give this a four. Uh, really, the Sheridan stuff was crap. And uh, all of the other Minbari stuff, I'm not sure people would get on board for that.
1: Uh, I gave it a five. I, I actually wrote down Bill Moomy's uh, presentation as he's laying there and he's, you know, got half a long or, or one long missing. And he's trying to dismiss these people and, and kind of put them in their place. The way he delivered those lines and his... Just his whole gravitas in that scene, I thought was was absolutely stunning and deserved a So bump. you think it saves a lot I think for it you. saves it, does for it for me, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the P5 rating is 8.33. Moving on to our next episode, Monuments of Transaction. Pretty close. Bester arrives on Babylon 5 and makes an offer to a desperate leader. D'Lynn faces the
0: Starfire Wheel. Yes, where she goes head-to-head with Shakira. <laughs> Shakira, huh? Um, yeah. Well, uh, I guess it's Shakiri. Shakiri, yeah. Not Shakira. The Shaihalit. Um, so he is basically, he's the, the big guy who's been, I guess, the one proliferating this war, pushing it so yep. hard. Yeah, he he is pretty much the head of the... Warrior cast. So it seems like it was his idea. He is the Hitler.
1: Hmm. Okay.
0: Did I just lose?
1: Yeah, you did. Damn it. Uh, just a quick note from the script book here before we get going. Jamie Kostrzewski says It is in this episode that the compression of fitting five years into four became for me the most apparent. In referencing my original notes, the Civil War on Minbar would have gone on for a few episodes. As back on Babylon 5 and Earth, the situation there continued to spiral out of control. The events described at the end of this episode by Ivanova would have been an entire episode unto itself. We would have seen those events unfold. The only way to make the compression work would be to pull the Earth Civil War up far enough to end it in year 4. Originally it
0: would have been completed around 4 or 5 episodes into season 5. Yeah, it would have been so much better now that you think about it. Because I found it odd that the the religious cast are just kind of rolling over, like, "Oh, we can defend ourselves," uh, <laughs> when they freaking fly around white stars all over the place. <laughs> yeah, so, and it seems like Delena's is in charge of the Rangers. Surely she could command the Rangers. Yeah, to say, "All right, attack." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I, it was a little weird. But anyway, I actually like this episode. I thought it was pretty decent in um, as far as the sci-fi stuff goes. Um, I, I did raise an eyebrow at this. Um, the Edgars guy is sending something to Io, which is a moon around Jupiter or Saturn? Jupiter. Jupiter. Uh, he's sending it to Io via Babylon 5. It's just like money laundering. You don't
1: take the most direct route. You go around the long way so that it loses some suspicion in the process. I guess. I found it weird. Um, it's just, this is, it's not odd at all
0: for smuggling to happen that way. Oh, really? Really? You seem to be pretty sure about this. <laughs> I've made enough revelations on this podcast. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> um, okay. Lita can't get work. Yeah. and Because uh, she's not part of Telepass Local 4 through 53. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and we have Bester come back. And he comes back because he wants her body. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He wants to do scientific research on it. And he's basically saying, look, we want you to come back, but you know what? You you get all the perks of being in Psycor, but we're not going to control you. You know, we have to
1: wear the shield. You have to wear the gloves.
0: Yeah. It's going to look like you belong to us, but um, for the most part, you can just kind of go off and do your own thing. And all we're asking for is when you die, your body belongs to us. Yeah. Because we want to find out what makes you so different. I thought it was a little odd at the beginning
1: that the woman who was interviewing Lita didn't catch on earlier that she's not part of Psycor because she's not wearing the gloves. She's not <laughs> wearing the shield. And it's like I surprised her at the end of the Wait, you're not part of Psycor? <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. uh, that was good.
0: <laughs> that was fun of your better voices. <laughs> That's really good. Um, yeah, for me, the biggest and most silly thing that I'm supposed to believe out of this is we're just, all of a sudden, Babylon 5, Sheridan, is just going to completely ignore Lita. Yeah, I, to, to, to I've the, always been bothered by this. To, to the extent that, you know, they're kicking her out of her quarters Didn't she earn those quarters by going head-to-head against the Shadow? Exactly. I think that would have bought you at least a few years on Babylon 5. (laughs) Or at least the Babylon 5 I run. I I think the idea that we're supposed to get from this is that Sheridan
1: is a normal person. He's He's a human with frailties and flaws, and he doesn't like telepaths. He is prejudiced against telepaths. Really? You think that's what we're supposed Absolutely. to walk away from this is? I, all the interactions we've ever seen Sheridan have with telepaths, I've always come away going, wow, Straczynski is just writing him as, as anti-telepath. He, he will I... use them yeah. as, as a tool. He doesn't really consider them people. Mm. Interesting. He, he found it easier to connect with the Lin than to connect with Lita <laughs> on an emotional level. What does that say? I think he's suffering from Inbari War
0: Syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I'm glad to know that you are just as unhappy about how they play the, the Lita stuff off. Actually, which, I do have something about this uh, that you mentioned. Which, right. which, by the way, as you're looking that up, Lita ends up going back to the core. And you see it as this, like, she's really upset about this. And she's just crying as she's putting the, the uniform of CyCor back on. And I, I mean, I actually did feel sorry for her in this episode, but I'm I'm more angry at the way that they that Straczynski decided to to push her character. Um, I, I just I find it hard to believe that everybody would just forget about how awesome Lita is because she's pretty awesome.
1: I can't find. There was a question and answer on this that I wanted to share, where he talked about it. Aren't they? Isn't Sheridan a little bit inconsistent about this? And he says, "Yes, it's inconsistent, but we're human beings and we're inconsistent."
0: Okay. All right. So that's the lead stuff. Um, the other two things in here, we have, uh, um, oh, the Edgar's and Garibaldi stuff. Meh. I didn't really care. Let, let me just j- dive in here real quick. He's, he said. He says in the
1: script book, one of the challenges I set myself in writing this episode was to attempt to ensure that everybody in this story is right, even if only to a small degree or just from their own perspective. When Zack accosts Garibaldi for smuggling some packages through Babylon 5, Garibaldi points out that this is a small change compared to breaking away from Earth, attacking their own ships, and essentially stealing Babylon 5 from Earth Force and the voters who paid for it. Here in another episode, it's Garibaldi who points out the potential hypocrisy behind a lot of what he sees. And he's right in doing so. Zack does not have moral high ground in this exchange. Something we tend to forget because we're in the process
0: of rooting for our heroes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Zack doesn't have the moral high ground here? How is it that Zack doesn't have the moral high ground? Because he has followed the
1: instructions of someone who's clearly... He, he's obeying what are clearly illegal orders by the book of the law, the letter of the law. I would disagree with that, but okay, whatever. Bester is also right in his appeal to Lita. She has been abandoned by those she helped. She's been forced into smaller quarters. There's no money, no reward. She's taken for granted at best, shoved into a corner, and forgotten at worst. There's another meta- metaphor I was striving for here, and this is where I got a little, get a little bit uh, distaste in my my own mouth is how a culture often treats those who fight for us when they are no longer needed. Once they're done fighting, we'd rather they just disappeared and didn't bother us anymore. Which is why there's always plenty of money for machines of war, but very little to support the veterans who've returned from war scarred, shattered, and injured. Yeah, I'd call that the Rambo Syndrome. Uh, I, I I understand the metaphor he's going for there, You know what he's trying to make us conscious of, but I just think the way he went about it is... I don't know if heavy-handed is the right term, but it just, it doesn't feel right. I'd say a better example of a show that is is addressing those issues is the new show, Person of Interest. I don't know if you've watched that at all. Uh With uh, Michael Emerson and Jim Caviezel. And Jim Caviezel is a war veteran who was looking for some definition in his life and, and Benjamin Linus. <laughs> He's playing almost the same character. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, gives him gives him some purpose in his life, and I, I think that this is a show that is taking the same point and is doing a much better job of addressing it. Just wanted to mention that. It,
0: maybe it's because of the shortened time frame that Straczynski yeah. thought. Okay, I've got to get her in back into CyCor and play this emotional game with her. You know, this is the easiest method to do, which is to just have everyone shun her and no one want to deal with her anymore. I think maybe, you know, as things got further and further along down the line, she distanced herself to the point where she's off in this other place and she really has no one left to turn to except Sycor. And then now she's back into Sycor. Yep. But the, the whole uh, truth of Babylon five just forgetting her, no. It, doesn't, mean, it doesn't it doesn't feel right, feel right at all. Right. I it, agree.
1: I, I do like that Lita is finally the first character to say what you and I have been saying for a while now, which is, if you came to me and said, look, I've got bad news, and I'm the person who delivered, I would say, better that I hear it from you. Like, Garibaldi's reaction was just so wrong. Well, at least it wouldn't have been you telling me. And here we see the opposite. We see Lita saying... Well, thanks, Zach. At least I heard it from you. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, uh, and uh, interesting that you mentioned that. Um, I have been meaning to tell you, um, you have gout.
1: Well, at least I heard it from you. Yeah. Unfortunately, my doctor beat you to it. <laughs> oh. Oh. I had just diagnosed it the other week, too. <laughs> uh, did, you know, did you notice the cameo in this episode? Uh, no, I did not see A chameleon. <laughs> chameleon. Uh, one, the guy who hires Garibaldi in this episode to find his cat and dog, they're planning to take over the universe, uh-huh. it's Scott Adams of
0: Dilbert. Oh, I don't really know okay. him. Yeah. I know Dilbert, but I have no idea who Scott okay. Adams yeah, really that, is. That, that, that is Scott Adams. He would written,
1: I think, for the New York Times a review of Babylon 5 and and kind of pumped it up. And so just, he said, well, you know, why don't you come on down <laughs> And wrote him just a little you know, one one or two line cameo. They're planning to take over the universe. It's Dogbert and Catbert that he's talking about. Yeah. Uh,
0: okay, so the good stuff in this that I really enjoy is the Minbari stuff. Um, you know, Minbar is on fire. It's under, you know, it's in yep. war. Um, and it's the major city that we see there. Um, the religious caste... Decides to surrender. Delenn says, you know what? This has gone on long enough. We can't let this happen any longer. People are just dying. And so she says, okay, let's... Nerun actually, sorry, makes a suggestion. Hey, look, we need to do this. I've set it up to be in this location, which is at one of the old temples. And it's at this point we come to realize, oh... Narun is totally on Delenn's side here. Yep, he is manipulating. Yeah, because at the end of the last episode, you're kind of left with this like, oh, Narun just took off. Uh, oh crap, I think we're all screwed. <laughs> and um it's come to find out that, you know, the whole time Delenn's trying to maneuver this Shakiri guy into this starfire circle. Yeah. And um I guess, anciently, the, this Starfire Circle was, okay, if uh, if two people have uh, this disagreement of, from differing castes, or the same castes, castes even, castes. so different castes, then the two leaders would come together, and they would both walk into this, and, as best I can understand... <laughs> Selection by self-immolation.
1: the The one who <laughs> sticks around... To the point that they're dead... Wins. Wins. So, um, I, I think this might be a good idea for a political campaign. Oh, jeez. The, 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 the party that's willing to show up and burn their leader <laughs> gets, gets the White House next year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it does seem uh, like a really bad way to seems, choose a system of government. Yeah. You're going to take the person who is... The most dedicated. Yeah, the you, one who's least selfish. Yeah. Cares and, about everyone else, sacrifice them in order to win. And so th- maybe this is how you get to a society that holds on to grudges for a thousand years. <laughs> You've killed
0: everyone who's rational. <laughs> uh, anyway, we come to find out that Shakiri, he's, he's freaked out now. And Narun basically now plays the mind game of. Look, you know, hey, this is right. The, this you have to do this. I now. love that
1: he's throwing his quotes back at him. Oh, uh, weren't you just telling me that living and dying—they're just two possible options, and neither one is to be preferred? Yep. Uh, you know, what about all this stuff you were just telling me? Did you really mean it? Our whole clan, our whole cast is watching you. What are you going to do? Yeah. And the guy awesome. can't. The guy can't take it. He, he steps in. I mean, Dalin's been in there already for quite some time, just kind of chilling out, right? Just handling it. He steps in and he's like, Ow, ow, ow. And he dives out and uh, and Nehruin steps in, lifts the lin out, hands her to Lanier, and heals the rift. He says, the calling of my heart
0: all along was religious. And... <laughs> gone. Okay. So I get the grand sacrifice idea. But... Really, did he have to stay in there? <laughs> he could have just left. Could have stepped out. Seems to me like Naroon is someone that they need alive. <laughs> Clearly, of the warrior cast, of the but uh, seems to be of the right mental temperament to be able to handle being a leader, and. He it's, just stays. He, he he saw the value in
1: martyring himself. I don't agree with it either. <sighs> I don't, but I just don't buy that. <sighs> but, but, you know, there are people that that is
0: that is the answer to them. You know, well, it's not me. Um, yeah. By the way, never ask me to become a martyr. I am not interested in that whatsoever. All right. Um, so Delenn sets up a new Great Council. Yep. Made up primarily of the worker caste. Yep. Five to four, five to two to two. And she does that because, look, we've had the power all of this time. We've been the ones who've been pushing things around. You've been the one who have been going out and fighting these battles. While all the time the worker cast is the one building our temples Actually, and building
1: your ships. She even said the worker cast has been the ones dying. Which made me wonder if the in- infantry grunts are populated... By worker caste members.
0: Uh, that doesn't feel
1: right. That, that the that the warrior caste is the command structure. And so you have command structure of the warrior caste, command structure of the religious caste, everybody else
0: worker caste. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how easy it is to, to go from one caste to another. Because we find out that uh, it was Ducat. Who was originally warrior caste, but then went over and became religious caste. So we know it can be done, but I wonder how often it happens. Yeah. Good question. And I wonder, you know, is there some sort of shunning of, you know, within your social circle when that happens? Yeah, I'm sure there's probably a penalty to be paid. Um, Okay, so she sets it up, and she's standing in the middle, and she says, I am going to step aside... Now, because I am not going to assume control, leadership of the Great Council, essentially become the Ducat. Which, does he have a title? Not that I know of. Leader of the it. High Command.
1: <laughs> Leader of the Great Council. All
0: right, the fine. Um, <laughs> the One. She says, I am going to step aside for the One who is to, to come. come. Yeah. Now, we have absolutely no idea. If someone is actually going to come now at this point. Before, we knew about the one. Because the one went into the past and set up the whole stuff about the one. (laughs) You know, self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. So, what is she saying here? Is she just screwing around with them? Or is she saying, look, I've got to set up something for them to look forward to down the line? Don't know. Do you do you see the the I, issue no, that I, I'm coming I, I across?
1: I, I I I'm I don't know if, if we're supposed to get the sense that in the heat the flush of the moment, Delenn actually is delivering prophecy.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, because she she definitely has always had somewhat of a mystical bent to her as a character. Is there you know is there is she referring to Sheridan? Because we know Sheridan is the one who will be. He is not yet the one who is. So he's the one who will be. So maybe she's referring to someday Sheridan is going to step in and lead us all. Ah, he leads the Grey Council. I, I don't know. I the, I don't have a good answer to that question. An Earther, not born
0: of Mimbari. <laughs> Wait, wouldn't that be all of them? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, potentially. Um, anyway, the episode ends with uh, the Earth Alliance ships attacking civilian. And ship. the worst
1: temper tantrum ever filmed on television. Ivanova is just not oh, believable in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it really wouldn't. It's back to like the gathering that <laughs> quality of acting. Really, really terrible acting job there. But Sheridan, I think he kind of does a better job, you know. He, he he's had enough. He's had it. Yeah,
0: I, I don't even remember. It's time we take the award to park. All right, Listen Joey. Uh yeah. Let's do Brainy Smurf to start uh on that note we take you to babylon 5 episode 2 the bone wars (laughs) so it's the religious cast versus the warrior cast gee i wonder who will win how can anyone consider this to be a legitimate conflict is the religious cast going to meditate their enemies away maybe the rangers and their white stars are fighting for delen But they are not actually doing anything nowadays except for blowing up asteroids. (laughs) JMS is becoming severely exhausted, so I offer some helpful rewriting. Sorry, moneybags, but we are getting rid of the exposition time uh, exposition machine. Now, the dreaming will occur with the, the song that was meant for such rituals. At the same time, we also replace the ridiculous face the judgment of the Pillar of Light ritual that we see in this stupid episode. In this version, there is no need for Delenn to use her political trickery. Our new Mimbari ritual shall be known as The Culling. (laughs) Okay. In deference to Lullaby. During The Culling, the beginning is the same as in this episode with the light column. But then... we fade to black. Darkness. The column turns into fire! And we hear at a blaring decibel level the opening riff to Enter Sandman. <laughs> delen then would proceed to approach the super lame warrior bonehead of the episode, General Goatee. She would say, Exit light, enter night. <laughs> right before she gouges out the general's eyes with her thumbs, the other unworry, unworthy Membari would then incinerate before Delenn as she asks the remaining boneheads to take my hand, as she closes with her bloody thumbs raised in clenched fists, <laughs> triumphantly declaring to all of Membar, "We're off to Never Never Land." Boom. <laughs> with our promise to keep things clean. <laughs> well, there's no vulgarity
1: in there. Oh, but there's certainly some violence. <laughs> we never it's said anything about violence. It's
0: disturbing mental images there. <laughs> Sci-Fi 7 TV 3 brainy version of The Culling? Nine. So he gives him, <laughs> himself a little bump in there but not quite perfect apparently. Okay, yeah. So there's some room for improvement. Um, yeah, you know, I, I was just realizing as uh, I read this, something that I thought during the episode, I didn't write down in my notes, was this was all part of Dillon's plan. Yeah. She was comfortable with lots more of the religious cast dying in between getting Shakiri to that point. Does that make sense? What do you mean, nah? Well, instead of facing shakiri right away she allows the war to go on for a while like it, the warrior cast is bombing the main city like people are literally dying we see them lying in, in that little uh uh a walkway area where Delen is yeah. hanging out you know uh, 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 yes i guess it's time uh but it seemed like it was all part of her plan yeah, it, it should have taken
1: several episodes for her to develop the plan, right? Under the original plot line. And and so what, what I think he's going for here is it not only takes some time to develop the plan, but it actually takes some time to execute on the plan. Yes, some people are going to die in the process, but if she just goes out and outright
0: surrenders, then it will completely <sighs> yeah. destroy Minbari's society. Agreed. But why the hand-wringing? As she's walking down the corridor. Yes. Uh, okay. I... Uh, we must surrender. Because she knows what's coming. She knows she's ah. going to commit suicide. I don't buy it. Oh,
1: Alright.
0: Uh, Moneybags. He says... Uh, Garibaldi Sheridan. Garibaldi's acting like a whiny emo teenager. So it's okay for him to circumvent security since it uh, it's as moral as Sheridan seceding from Earth and setting up your own empire. Right? So it's okay to be immoral as long as others are being more immoral? (laughs) The Centauri permit uh, death by vivisection. Is it okay to be as immoral as them? Yeah, I'm reminded of uh, a comment. I can't remember where it comes from, but uh, the people are, you know, okay to, to, you know play around in prostitution when the king is you know happily a whoring out there you know because the king does it that means all the rest of us can do it too (laughs) yeah it's uh, it's a fallacy of logic Um, he continues and he's mad about Sheridan breaking away after Sheridan asked him and all the other command staff in Severed Dreams if they should fight and they all said yes true they were defending Babylon 5 not attacking but that's splitting hairs. Lita, Lita can't get a paycheck from Babylon 5. Just say, Oh, I guess I'll take Bester's deal then. He wants my body after I'm dead to make stronger telepaths. No big whoop. And I bet Sheridan would find some extra money in the budget. Heck, he's done it before. 30 credits a week for combat readiness. And why would Lita bother trying to apply for a job? isn't this like a doctor with a medical license trying to get a job at a hospital couldn't she apply for a job with an alien corporation after all she's a p touched by vorlons now i would imagine everyone would be clamoring for her services yeah delen so the two cast leaders walk into the circle and one is so dedicated they die so the one who is most dedicated to the cause and would presumably make an awesome leader is... <laughs> dead. Hmm. Hmm. TV 6, Sci-Fi 6. Okay. Joey, Sci-Fi ready.
1: Uh, I'm going to go with a 7. Again, the Minbari stuff just lifts it above the average. And, and you have the bester Lita and Garibaldi kind of triumvirate storyline in
0: there. I agree. Uh, I think the, the Nimbari stuff really does carry it through. Uh, it helps to cover up some of the other stuff that I don't really care about in this episode. So I give it a seven. Uh, television. It's a television yeah, rating. I, I'm, I'm looking here. I'm trying to read my own, <laughs> own note here. I prefer, I, to, to, I prefer to think of you as not realizing you know, <laughs> well, what, what kind of rating do we give next?
1: So here's what it says. Three. Sheridan's speech saves what was... Oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Sheridan's speech saves what was the worst three minutes of season four. So from Ivanova walking in and that whole thing, that was that was just awful. And to end the episode on that, just, in my opinion, just kind of ruins this episode. And it would have been lower if it hadn't been for the fact that Sheridan kind of brings
0: it back around with a little bit of an emotional speech. So what's the number? Three. You give this a three. Yes. Interesting. Um, I, I agree with you. uh, to a certain degree I find it odd that the directors and Straczynski would not have noticed by now that Ivanova doesn't do emotional scenes well she plays better as a robot you're right she just does not seem to be able to put together the right stuff to deliver what should be an appropriate emotional response (laughs) Uh, I disagree with you slightly on the three. I think this is a five. okay. I, I think the the mimbari stuff, I think you could buy that. So five. okay. The P5 rating is 8.73. Moving on to our next episode. No surrender, <laughs> no retreat. <laughs> Sheridan freeze Proxima 3.
1: <laughs> Londa and Jakar agree on something. You almost read "nos surrender," didn't?
0: you? No, I read it purposefully slow <laughs> to make sure I didn't. As I was telling Joey ahead of time, when I wrote my notes on this, I wrote "no surrender," but I wrote the "s" like a lot closer to the "no" than I did the "surrender" part. So several times now, as I've been mentally just rereading my notes, I've read that as "nos surrender," <laughs> which uh, neither of those things are no, words in the we'll English say,
1: language.
0: Nitrous ne- oxide. Yeah, but I don't think they call NOS. it that. They call it NOS, sure. I don't, I've i never heard anyone say NOS. Really? Nitrous? Yes. You've never heard anyone say NOS? No. Huh. I okay. have not. Um, okay, another good episode for me. Yeah. Uh, but this seems like a, uh, a good deal of action stuff. So that it plays to me, and I, I'm okay with it being that way. Um, Sheridan has had enough. And he decides to get the non-aligned worlds involved in this issue. No, he actually specifically asks them to stay out
1: of that issue. What he says is, I need you guys to come protect Babylon 5 because I'm taking every single ship we've got. I'm taking all of the White Stars, I'm taking all of the Star Furies... Well, not all of them. There's some, there's some that they leave behind, but I'm taking everything away. What I need from you guys is to commit your your ships to the defense of Babylon Five and, and to the things that and, the White Star has been doing,
0: and don't help out Earth.
1: Okay, yes, don't help out Earth, but don't help us out either. You basically, I mean, because the thing is, he really needs, based on the character assassination that's been going on against him, this has to be it has to be clear that this is Sheridan riding to the defense of Earth, and not the non-aligned worlds coming to conquer Earth. And he does so
0: in alien vessels operated <laughs> by, by... Minbari. Minbari. I know. I have the same problem. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. As you were just talking, I am thinking, okay, inconsistency, inconsistency. <laughs> as they get more
1: uh, Earth ships in the, in the coming episodes, they will start to start to use the white star less
0: you just gave away so much about the next episode we didn't get that <laughs>
1: no. yeah. because, and he actually he he verbalizes that very concern this has to look like this is earth force coming to depose an illegal government not some
0: alien campaign to conquer right um okay question point of inquiry I'm not sure you can answer this <laughs> Yes. Did you like that? The member has a question. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, I've just ceded control. You essentially become the chair of this podcast. I've been the chair of the podcast since we started double on five. Uh, Uh, By the way, that's an internal joke. Joey's been doing uh, parliamentary procedure classes. And so we were talking about a presentation that he had been giving. And we specifically (laughs) talked about point Point of of information, information, uh, point of order uh, stuff, before we recorded tonight. Anyway... My question is, where do they get the fuel for the Star Furies? That's a good question. I don't know. I, I've, I, in this episode, it just became really, really apparent to me that the fuel must be coming from somewhere. We don't know what powers any of the ships, though, fuel wise. I, I, yeah. I, I, we know what powers Babylon Five. It's supposed to be the fusion reactor. Well, I was going to say the what looks like the the solar cells.
1: I think the solar cells are a supplementary system. It has a fusion reactor okay, as its primary power system. Because we know that because when the fusion reactor on Babylon 4 was kind of on the fritz, we see the lights dimming inside and stuff like that. The fusion reactor is the primary source of power. So it's probably a fusion engine in all of these ships, I'm guessing. Okay. Um, and maybe that makes sense now. Why... Life pods are a completely useless concept in Babylon 5. I don't know if we, have we talked about this. No one ever escapes from an exploding ship in Babylon 5. The one time that I can think of that it's happened was Garibaldi when he was already in a life pod when the ship was attacked. And so the life pod was, a, was jettisoned the second the ship was even attacked. But in every other instance, when a ship has been damaged to the point of exploding, everyone dies. People don't (laughs) get away. They're always like, hurry, get to
0: the life pods. Oh, man. Dang it. (laughs) Ah, curse those people. Maybe, well, to be fair, maybe they hide the life pods really well because they don't want people just, like, playing around in them and, like, accidentally launching them off. Or, or,
1: you know, taking their lunch break in
0: there. Yeah. (laughs) You know, two amorous uh, people get together and, like, Hey, no one's using the life pod. No, keep it clean. What? I said amorous. <laughs> no, I, didn't know, I didn't don't want go any further than that. I'm <laughs> just going to make out and read poetry to each other. <laughs> All right. So I guess, sure, let's call it, uh, the fu- they've got little mini fusion reactors, I guess, in there. Yeah. Which I guess they, that still requires some sort of power source, though, right? Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we didn't fully answer the question. Uh, I thought it was interesting, Veer's having
1: nightmares still about killing Kartasha. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I like that, you know, for the character of Veer, there was some consistency kept here. Even though it's
0: just a, a very brief, you know, kind of offhand view we get. I'd rather they change him in a different way. I'd like to see Veer grow up a little bit more. I agree with you, but I'm saying... He still seems like the fraidy cat, like, oh, oh, oh. oh. I,
1: I, wouldn't, I, I would not object to seeing that same kind of change in him. But I like that they're showing that this event that happened to him, it wasn't an episodic thing. It wasn't, oh, you know, in episode 12, I killed Cartagena. By episode 14, I was totally fine with it. <laughs> There's an
0: emotional repercussion here that he's having to pay. Good good point. <laughs> um so Londo wants to talk to Jakar, and he is seeking forgiveness for his actions. I don't know if he's even come that far yet. Oh, I think so. Okay. I, I definitely see that. As he's, you know, look, have a drink with me. You know, I, I get you're still probably really upset about this, but at least come this way a little bit. Just have a drink with me. Can we Can we do just that? Yeah. And Jakar wants nothing to of it. it. <laughs> to the point where he's going to take the, the time and control to pour his little <laughs> uh, shot glass back, back into it, a flask. <laughs> into a flask, which I don't know if any of you have ever seen that flask before. They have really small holes. It's not huge. Yeah. Um, it. it uh, boy, that really... That must have been tough was, for Londo. taking a steady hand for Jakar to pour that back <laughs> <to the rest. laughs> So uh, let, let's talk for a second about this. Okay. Um, we've been wronged from time to time, I think, in our lives. I don't think anywhere to the extreme that Jakar and Londo have managed to take <laughs> themselves to. Sure. I really don't. Um, but the, the idea is still the same you've been wronged and let's say you're not at fault in this totally not your fault and the other person has been a jerk about it for the longest time but they finally come back you know or we've seen this in other television shows where it's like you know the big bully when he was in high school beats up on the little nerdy kid and he feels bad about it you know 20 years later so he goes to the nerdy kid and says hey i'm really sorry about that i hope you can forgive me you know I've forgiven you for plenty of things. <laughs> Sorry, was that not where you were going with that? It was, but uh, I didn't feel that uh, you were, you know... I, hadn't, I wasn't aware I had wronged you, even at all, to feel I should have apologized. No,
1: uh, the, the, the best example I can give of, of a similar event in my own life is, you know, I, I grew up with an abusive father. Right. Okay. And there was a point when I hit my adulthood where I stuck my finger in his face and I told him I'm not scared of you anymore, old man. And for like 3 to 4 months after that, we didn't speak. We we refused to acknowledge that the other person even existed. <coughs> like if someone would bring them up in conversation, I'd leave the room. If he if they'd start talking about dad, just get up and leave the room. And it took about 4 months and after 4 months of Not even thinking about each other or like studiously not thinking about each other (laughs) if I can say it that way. Um, I called him up and I said, hey, I'm sorry I lost my temper at you the other day. And he said, well, I guess that's all right. I've given you plenty of reason to do so. That was all that was said about it. And now... I wouldn't say that we're, like, friends. We don't, like, go to hang out at the local coffee shop or anything like that. But, uh, you know, when I have a car question, I will call my dad. And when he has a computer question, he'll call me. I think that's probably the extent of the the relationship that my father and I will ever have in this life. But we've moved past the hate.
0: We've moved past the anger and the blame. Yeah. Okay. Well... How about you? I... I thought about this for a little while. I tried to think of... Okay, times when I have been really wronged. And for the most part... Like, they've been imaginary wrongs. Like, people had done things... It affected me... But they hadn't done them specifically to me. Um, And so, a lot of times it's sort of like... oh that stupid jerk. I can't believe he's done all of those things. And I just fester and I fester inside... I eventually just, it bleeds out, it goes away. It's just, it's not an issue anymore. <laughs> I really couldn't think of anyone who had actually wronged me. You, you're so. just not
1: cons- self-consistent enough to
0: hate someone. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> you forget. That's <laughs> a lousy memory. <laughs> Sorry, what were you I'll work say? on that. You know what? I will start <laughs> hating more. <laughs> <laughs> So I started to th- I, I tried to think about it from the other side. Meaning I was Londo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and tried to think about the people that I had wronged. I had caused issue to. And <laughs> I could think of lots and lots of opportunities <laughs> for me to have gone to this you know, these people and say, let's have a let's have a drink together. Let's let this go, please. You know, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Um, I suddenly realize, am I? You're Lando. Am I? Am I such a terrible person here? (laughs) So I wanted to ask you, are you the same way? I I realize I'm kind of throwing this at you. I've had plenty of time to think about this. I can certainly think of times when I was in the wrong.
1: Yeah, I think I'm with you. I, I can think of more times where I think it was probably my fault yeah. that the relationship broke down. I, I'm reminded of one of my favorite uh, demotivator posters where it has the the chain and there's a link right in the middle that's about to snap. It's you know real taut, and it says, uh, "Have you ever noticed the only consistent feature of all your failed relationships is your- <laughs> 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 Yeah, that's, that's
0: pre- pretty good. I, I guess it was, I, I can't say it's a an eye-opening experience for me and it's suddenly changed my life and I'm going to be this better, humble, more, you know, lovable person. That's not going to happen. You're just going to get more offended. <laughs> <laughs> so that the bar swings back I'm, the other way. You're going to look for more opportunities <laughs> to get screwed over by people. No, I, I, I think that maybe I should try to look... A a little bit more at, instead of just me, 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 but look on the other side. In in, you know the personal relationships I have, mainly with work, um, with my friends. I don't know. It's pretty much you, so I'm okay with whatever (laughs) happening. It'll be great material for the podcast, one way or the other.
2: Uh, whichever one of us is the cause of the breakdown
0: yeah whether it's happy wonderful things happening or really terrible things as you know I'm just shout, verbally. shouting matches that my wife I come up my wife says
1: so I listened to your podcast the other day are you and Pete okay <laughs> I say honey it, it's it's all
0: for the podcast it's the... <laughs> by no means does it mean we're making this up right. it's just we can we can divorce We're, ourselves. We can compartmentalize you and I. Um, I, I guess I I want to start thinking a little bit more about. Do should I be going out to people and Being more conciliatory? Yeah, amending you know my actions to say look I'm sorry I I apologize for whatever I did this you know it, it was wrong of me, or whatever. And I, I, I obviously the answer's got to be yes yeah. to to that. Uh, but I guess I really... I appreciate Babylon 5 for helping me in my personal <laughs> life. Uh, I, I never thought those words would get them out of my life.
1: I, I think the character arcs of Jakar and Londo are probably <clears throat> one of the strongest things you can take out yeah. of Babylon 5. Yeah. And apply to yourself and say, am I, did, am I a Jakar? Did I start as a Jakar? Do I need to make that same kind of... inter? I, I can say for myself... That is one of the things I love about Babylon Five. I am a Jakar. I was a very bitter and angry person, and I've had to work my way towards being someone that you know, hopefully people actually like being around now instead of being just this miserable sack of you know of anger and I hope that I never am a londo where you know I can't even see my way back to the light kind of thing so. I think that that is, I think you you hit it right on the head, that this is one of the strong points of Babylon 5, is let's look at these characters and examine ourselves through that lens. And what do I need to do to avoid that, or am I that, and I need to repent a little bit? I think that means you need to write the Book of Joey. The Book of Joey. Yes. I actually wrote a book once <laughs> called The Book of Joey. <laughs> I even wrote it in, uh, uh, like, King's English like King James style English I'm sure it
0: was blasphemous
1: it really was
0: unfortunately uh okay getting back to the episode um who has two thumbs and uh <laughs> Wait, no I got one I got one. oh do you
1: where is it I cause I knew you were gonna bring this up who has two thumbs and is a traitor to his uniform this guy <laughs>
0: I would, have, I would have amended that to Bob Kelso. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> uh, the uh, the actor who plays Bob Kelso from the TV show Scrubs shows up in this... Uh, I don't even know who that guy is. He was in Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, he was the genius k- guy who has the egg that... Uh, oh, okay. You remember yeah. him? Yeah. Did he ever show up in West Wing? I can't remember. I don't know. I feel like we, had, we would have mentioned him. Uh, I don't see any... Reference
1: the guy's. The actor's name is Ken Jenkins. I don't see any references to West Wing on his uh, IMDb ah, profile.
0: Dang it! We almost had a 3 Peter. We almost did. Shoot. Oh well. Um. Okay. So he's one of the evil guys. He's one of the evil Earth Alliance people, and uh, they, the White Stars, show up and they start attacking. Um. And turns into a battle. Yeah. And. Sheridan basically says, look, you guys out there, you know this is an illegal order, what they have you doing out here. Now, we're not going to attack you people because you have not been committing atrocities like attacking civilian ships or attacking you know, the, this base here at Proxima. So, we're not going to attack you. Please do not engage us. So they have the choice, you know, follow the order, or should they do they stand down? Well, they have three choices. He gives them three
1: options. He says you can either retire from the field. Oh, that's at the that's at the very end, though. He he actually tells them that in his initial (coughs) radio address. He says you can either retire from the field. We will not pursue you. We will not attack you. You can stand down, or you can join us. Anything
0: else, we're going to fight you. Um anyway, they win yeah they they manage to beat up not before you know a lot of people die um but they win the battle and it's clear to Sheridan okay he's not alone there's really a bunch of other people out who who were just either too scared or not in a good position to be able to stand up to Clark yeah um and uh, that's the character of Mackey right yes okay McDougal. Nacky. Uh Okay, so come to the end, uh, Garibaldi leaves for Mars permanently, and Jakar forgives just a little bit. Yeah, not enough to actually have a drink with Londo, but he has a drink near Londo. <laughs> <laughs> Was While weird, Londo's also having a drink. <laughs> what was weird is it looked like Jakar just kind of walked up to the thing and there was a glass sitting there. He
1: he what, he like, gives a little finger motion, so they must have been like usual. You know, give me my usual. It looked like it was the same thing that Londo was drinking, though. So maybe there's just
0: that one drink, that that's that what that finger motion means. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> the, uh, <laughs> the international alien sign for that drink
1: (laughs) (laughs) one uh, interlac whiskey please (laughs) I want to read from the script book he says central to the writing of this episode is the dilemma that faces any military officer when it comes time to decide whether or not to obey an order of dubious legality or morality every military officer from the ground up is told that they have the right to decline to obey an illegal order that they are in fact required to disobey such an order In the aftermath of World War II, our generals did not want to ever see American soldiers forced to obey illegal orders with the Nazi defense of, I was just following orders. But it's one thing to say that in a classroom or an exercise field during basic training, and quite something different to exercise that obligation in the course of actual battle. Mm -hmm. Sheridan understands this, and it underlines his desperate attempts to make his fellow officers understand that they must either refuse to obey Clark's illegal orders, or at a minimum, stand down. It is a difficult and morally ambiguous quandary, and there are no easy answers or responses when it arises in the course of military action. For this reason, the debate is timely now, perhaps even more so given, at the time of this writing, recent uh, events at Abu Ghraib and uh, elsewhere. Did I say that right? Abu Ghraib? Is that how you say it? Yeah, yeah. Somewhere somewhere Uh, in there? Yeah. (laughs) Ish? I don't know what the proper thing is, and I've heard both of those said. Uh, As it was when this episode was first written. Many of Captain Sheridan many of the captains Sheridan orders to stand down refuse to do so, not because they think they are doing wrong or have malicious intent, but because they believe they are doing right by their responsibilities to their crews and the chain of command. Which is, of course, why Sheridan suffers so much in implementing his strategy.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I don't doubt. That would be an incredibly it, difficult situation you know, to be in. I, 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 I can't even put myself really in that position because, I mean, you're speaking for everyone on your ship.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: There's that whole thing with, you know, you, you're sworn to
1: uphold the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And I'm just, it, it, this episode and talking about these issues always makes me grateful for the fact that I don't have to parse what that means in my life. <laughs> Uh-huh. i've never taken that oath and so i don't have to decide on a day-to-day basis is this guy really an enemy uh, he, he's he's an american and the but the things that he's doing is that does that make him really an enemy a domestic enemy i'm glad i don't have to ever draw that line and, and thank heavens that there are people who are willing to do that
0: yeah uh comments, comments absolutely all right, we'll go to Moneybags. He says, uh, some great battle scenes here. I love the character of Mackie. And a great scene with Londo and Jakar, the first one in a while. Let's enjoy them while we can. Yeah. I don't remember very many good ones in Season 5. I won't say anything about the development of their relationship in Season 5, but they have a lot of ground to cover in the next six episodes. Are there even any more scenes with the two of them this season? For some reason, I like the battle scenes with the Earth ships the most. They actually look like serious warships. The alien ships all seem a bit too fancy for me. <laughs> Although the Membari warships are pretty cool. Okay, Brainy Smurf. He says, The box gonna get you, sucka. Ivanova says, trust only Ivanova and yourself. Shoot everyone else. <laughs> okay,
1: go. Sorry. I just—I I had a sudden mental image of what would have happened if everyone that was in that room at that moment had obeyed that order.
0: <laughs> I think Ivanova is the only one that ends right. up alive.
1: Right, going to be well, well one left
0: uh, Clark says Trust only President Clark and yourself Shoot everyone else At least we get to see everybody's favorite Babby 5 subhero Lieutenant Corwin Can someone please give this dude a cool Uniform And how come he doesn't have an Action figure when they took the Time to make one for Ambassador Shiloh of the Whatever Intelligence I wish every Babby 5 episode Was like this one great pacing I only wonder what it would have been like if we had had time to prepare uh, to care about Proxima 3 uh, Captain Dathan would say Londo and Jakar's quarters and also Londo and Jakar taking shots at the bar <laughs> that's oddly rhyming it's <laughs> off putting to read <laughs> you really hate poetry <laughs> It's just, it's awkward to read that. Okay. Uh, Both sentences indicate very different settings. What amazing scenes. One of the main reasons why I contribute to this podcast is simply to be able to say things like, This scene in Jakar's quarters is sublime. Both PJ and Andreas deliver some of the most powerful acting I have ever witnessed. All this while both men are donning elaborate, campy, alien costumes. Mm -hmm. The arc of these two characters is endlessly salient. Jakar is barely capable of forgiveness, unable to let go. Beautiful development as Londo almost uh, garners sympathy from the audience. Sci-Fi 10, TV 8. Wow, nice. Uh, Just to echo
1: that a little bit here from J. Michael Straczynski... (laughs) He says, as noted previously, with the stress of the deadlines, I was spending less and less time on the set in season four. Nonetheless, as was so often the case while shooting Babylon five, I made it a point to be on set for the scenes in which Londo invites Jakar to drink and sign with him, only to be turned down, as well as the scene in the bar later when Jakar comes to agree to sign the resolution. These scenes were terribly difficult for me to write on an emotional basis. In both cases, Peter Jurassic was nearly in tears given the emotional weight of the scene. I will say only, he wasn't the only one. Huh. Interesting. Pete? Science fiction rating.
0: Uh, I'm going to give this a 7. Uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed all of the battle scenes. I thought that was good science fiction. I, I'm giving it a hard 8. Uh, this is like re- really, really good stuff. But
1: the the scenes with Lando and Jakar and just... Absolutely mind-blowingly
0: good space battle. Uh, I'm going to give this a six. Um, I I think it was good and uh, just but just a little bit above average. I, I'm giving it a seven. I think I think people I think the action would appeal. I think it mm-hmm. has broad appeal. I, I I don't know. I, I think that they could get lost a little bit in the why of the battle. No, no, you may have a point. Maybe.
1: The P5 rating is 9.16.
0: Moving on to our next episode.
1: Exercise of vital powers. Mars. I can't believe Garibaldi is back on Mars. Oh, and Dr. Franklin has a breakthrough with those telepaths. <laughs> <laughs> corn. Cornball. I, I don't care for this episode.
0: I really don't either. At the very end of my notes I wrote, This is like a bad detective movie with the voiceover. Yeah. It's um, actually it's supposed to
1: be a, a call out, call out to uh, what was the name of that movie? A Dark and Stormy Night? No.
2: Nope.
0: Apocalypse now. I haven't seen that. I haven't either. Oh well, let's apocalypse it later. Alright. Um Okay, so we come to find out Lita can awaken the telepaths. Well, she can she can push the shadows out of their mind, thus awakening the telepaths. They were already awake when she did it. No, they were in some sort of subconscious <laughs> oh, okay. state. Right. Okay. Anyway, to the point that the doctor feels like he can use her to kind of make these, Help p- these guys. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I forgot where that whole thing went. Nowhere yet. Oh, Lita and Franklin go to uh, uh, are going to go to Mars. Yeah. I can't remember why they're going to Mars. We don't know yet. They haven't told
1: us. Okay. Sheridan has told Franklin what he wants the telepaths for. But it happened off screen. And here we see one of the big problems with video phone technology. No matter how many times I see this in science fiction movies, and I don't care about stupid FaceTime... I just don't buy that this is ever going to be the common way human beings communicate because there's no such thing as privacy. I'm, <laughs> I'm reminded of the movie The Demolition Man. Okay. Where he makes a video phone call and some woman answers the phone having just stepped out of the shower and doesn't have a robe or a, a towel on. And You know, I mean, this, this, is, this is where you're headed if video phones really become a, a popular technology. Sheridan and Franklin want to have a private conversation. In order to do so... Franklin has to send everyone out of the room. This is why video phones, I don't think, will ever become our standard mode of communication.
0: Uh, I'm going to go ahead and agree with you on that. Okay. You've heard it here first. Don't invest in uh, video phones. Uh,
1: the blindfold they make Garibaldi wear? Is that just the stupidest thing you've ever seen?
0: Yeah. I, I don't... It was silly because, okay, once he gets off of the ship. There's going to be a finite number, number of places.
1: places. Agreed.
0: The only thing I can all think right.
1: of is if there's some kind of. First of all, there's no way that blindfold is protecting him from seeing anything yeah. at all. Agreed. But let's let's grant that this is like some kind of magical fabric that blocks all light. <laughs> but we'll give him that. The the, the the only possible thing I can see here is if there's some kind of unscheduled midway stop that doesn't exist on any record books or anything that Edgar's has managed to get arranged, and that is where they're getting him off at.
0: Yeah. <laughs> or, or <laughs> he's gonna have to leave at some point. I guess maybe they're gonna blindfold him then, too. Um, but, Edgar's is having stuff delivered there? Well, but only by people Edgar's already trusts.
1: Mm, Alright. Uh, the evolution of the character of Wade. He started out as the head of a biker gang, <laughs> and now he's a literature professor. Uh, well, well.
0: I guess. I guess. Well, who's if, to say the literature, literature professors, professors can't be head of bike yeah, gangs? Yeah, I knew you were
1: gonna go. Why can't
0: they, you know, right. enjoy riding motorcycles in space? <laughs> <laughs> why do you have to take that away from? Lucas Wisniewski has brought us to discussing this. <laughs> Look, we already had the deep philosophical discussion. This is all we're <laughs> left with now. Um, Wade kills the telepath, though. Yeah. And come to find out that Edgar's is... I mean, he's basically... Wade is the guy who does the dirty work, I think, for yep. Edgar's. Yeah, he's his hitman. Um, anyway, they're experimenting or killing. They have created
1: a telepath-specific, genetically-targeted
0: virus. right. And I I think we're supposed to see Edra as someone who is morally right because he's taking on the evil psychor When you know he makes a statement, look, they've suffered enough. We know what's going to happen. Just kill them. Just stop making them suffer through all of this. I don't buy that at all. We're supposed to see him as a as
1: a, as a Bester equivalent, someone who really? is kind of villainous, but. In a way, isn't he also right? I mean, the things that the, the the things that brought him to the decision that he made are true things. Sycor has way too much control. Clark has given them power. I can see them becoming a dangerous problem in the future. They could become a kind of thought police. All these are valid points. They are the action he takes as a result is out of bounds. Is flawed, absolutely. And, and, and that's why we're supposed to see him as the human equivalent to Bester. So Bester mm-hmm. and Edgars are the, kind of the seesaw between humans
0: and telepaths. Okay. Um, let's see here. Um, oh, Edgars, I meant to ask you, what voice work has he done? Because he, his voice sounds incredibly familiar. He's done a lot of stuff. Uh, I haven't looked up voice work. I before. didn't recognize his, his face. face at all, but his voice was incredibly incredibly uh, uh, familiar
1: Uh, you are thinking of Alfred Pennyworth from Batman the Animated Series. Really? Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know all the DC universe cartoons that they did, where never Alfred appeared in the past. You know what is that? Twenty years almost. You're kidding. It's been him you. as the voice as, uh, as Alfred. That's amazing. He was also Doctor Octopus in the Spider-Man series in
0: 1995, 96, 97. Okay. Wow, fabulous. I knew I recognized his voice. Obviously, I I couldn't tell from what that I recognized it, uh, but I I knew he was something uh, that I could remember. Um, Okay, so Edgar's has, I mean, we get a lot of Edgar's philosophy in this episode. Um, He talks about the Greeks' idea of happiness. Yep. Um, I think he mentions I think this is him He says People give away their power Only a fool walks away from real power Is that him that says that? I think so, yes Um, I, I like this definition
1: of happiness here Let me read from the Straczynski book Another of my trademarks is in the form of the quote That provides the title for this episode I've worked this into a lot of my work Including even an episode of Murder, She Wrote Again, both in dialogue and title, lines of excellence. Unlike most of my self-impressed fulminating and indulgent self-cross-referencing, my reason for working this quote repeatedly into my work is quite simple. I believe absolutely in what it proposes. Happiness said the ancient Greeks can be best described as the exercise of vital powers along lines of excellence in a life that gives them scope. Doing the absolute best you can using all your talents aspiring only towards absolute excellence in a life that gives you the room to do those things the room to be excellent growing up aspiring to be a writer I always kind of wondered if I would ever be in a position where I would have the opportunity to do and to be all of those things I got them in Babylon 5
0: I don't know that I fully buy that because that that comment there does not leave much room for morality well, it's the Greeks, man.
1: <laughs> uh, you're correct. Uh, you're I absolutely it... correct. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. I think you might be. You know, you can. I think you could say that one of your vital powers that you're supposed to excel at is the practice of
0: being moral. Yeah. No. The idea that happiness is contained within. Oh, I see. You, what you see. and whatever your. Desire is as long as you do it with these premises there's no requirement that you okay, I see what you're saying now and that I would kind of have a problem with
1: yeah, that's a good point but I think that there are people who get so hung up I don't know it goes back to what I've said over and over again and one of the reasons I love Babylon 5 is it's all about appreciating life for what it is and not getting swallowed. You know, that whole thing with the the past tempts us. What was that? I can't remember now. The past confuses us or frightens us. The future, fright- no, the future frightens us, the present tempts us, and the past confuses us. And we never allow ourselves to actually live in the moment because we're so distracted by all these other things. So I, I think that there's something to be said for that, but I see your point as well that there are other aspects of life that need to be considered. Yeah. It's I, not the, the end just, of definition, this, but it's a piece of the definition, I would say.
0: I'm more comfortable with that, with it being a piece of the definition of happiness, not the definition of happiness, because sure. it, it, in my mind, does not involve any sort of... Yeah, It's just morally ambiguous. Yeah. Um, okay. I don't care about Garibaldi and Lys. And I said just- the oh my gosh Honestly, goodness I wrote I don't care about Lise or Garibaldi <laughs> see I put Garibaldi first I yeah <laughs> um uh, Edgar's wants to take down Clark um because he is too powerful and Edgar's way of doing this is look Will uh, if you think about it there's really six main people who r- truly own Earth <laughs> I'm one of them and we're going to take him down through our means. And what Sheridan's doing is wrong. The, it's The Illuminati immoral. are
1: going to destroy
0: the too powerful president. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um.
0: Anyway, Edgars wants Garibaldi to deliver Sheridan to him. Yeah. So the betrayal is set. And what are you going to do? Would you sign up with Edgars? I don't know. Me? What? Uh, well, I don't mean you... Oh. Specifically, I just mean, you know, that's the that's the dilemma here that Garibaldi is faced with. Yeah,
1: Garibaldi has a reason for signing up with Edgar's that we will see more of later.
0: Um, yeah, I, I hope they wrap this Garibaldi thing up <laughs> appropriately because I am so confused as to where he is going. But whatever. Um, now that he's on Mars, they can actually answer the question. Hmm. It, it's on Mars that we get the answer to that. Uh, I, I can't remember. Did we mention this? Uh, Sheridan finally tells Franklin uh, his plan. Yes. Doesn't he? Don't we get in on the plan? Not yet. He and tells him something that we know. He tells him, I need you to clear
1: the room. He, we see everybody leave the room. Then we see Lita walking down the hall. And Franklin walk out. And he just looks like drained and he, he finally says you know all these people have been saying that Sheridan is harder he's different since he came back I haven't seen it but after that conversation I just had now I've seen it I know what everyone's been concerned about Huh. so pack your bags Lita
0: we're going to Mars interesting okay alright I just it's been so long since I've seen this so it wasn't a I think this is wrong it was I don't honestly remember
1: you know there were two things we didn't We didn't... We skipped... I I missed something earlier, and I wanted to mention it here because it happens again here. There's some good cinematography, I think, going on in these batch of four episodes. The first one is when Londo, in in Rumors, Bargains, and Lies, when Londo is talking to the Drazi ambassador, and he's trying to be evasive. He's trying to lie. They shoot the scene through a bunch of stuff. Like, it's in the back of Londo's room, and there's all this stuff, and we see Londo... In fact, the first time we see Londo... We're looking into a little tiny mirror. I don't know if you remember this. The camera is looking at a mirror, and all we can see is Londo's face hovering in the middle of, like, this Centauri bric-a-brac. <laughs> and then the camera pans, but we're always looking. There's always this, you know, occlusion of our view... As Londo is trying to hide the truth. And I thought that was a really cool hmm, kind of way to give us as the viewer I, I the noticed. sense of, th- of what's going on in that scene. Okay. And then I think they do a similar thing here in, th- in this episode when Garibaldi is being interrogated by the tele... Well, being interrogated with a, a telepath in the room. And he goes over and he looks at the mirror that presumably Edgar's is behind... And the view of Garibaldi inside the mirror is incredibly distorted. It's almost like a funhouse mirror <laughs> level of distortion. And we're seeing Garibaldi act that. And, and it's one of the few times I think actually that Jerry Doyle is... Maybe it's uh, um, just Jerry Doyle being Jerry Doyle. But <laughs> the the scene, what, what, what he is supposed to be doing in that scene, I think fits very well with... What he actually does in the scene, which isn't always the case with Garibaldi's character. And I think that they enhance that by showing us this incredibly funhouse mirror distorted view of Garibaldi and him looking at himself almost like, I don't even know who that person
0: is that I'm looking at. You just made some uh, uh, production guy <laughs> so happy right now. <gasps> Somebody <blindly> noticed. noticed. <laughs> my life's work wasn't in vain I will step down off of this uh okay comments or did you listen to comments okay um Brainy Smurf says vital exercises Mars sucks (laughs) Garibaldi sucks (laughs) sorry children (laughs) Dr. Love is back to his old stupid snide snippy snarky self Uh, That was a lot of S's. Uh, In the previous episode, a captain chick said, uh, It's not the role of the military to make policy. Hmm. Well, maybe in a perfect world. Our government's executive branch certainly believes that the government should be setting economic policy. At least that's what Fox News tells me. So, is it Garibaldi's role to make hater policy against the box? Is this supposed to be like Caesar and Brutus? And did you know Brutus' first name was Marcus? Mm -hmm. Anyways, Mars falls short of awesomeness. The hatred which that Fox News brews might be better directed at the stupidity as the stupidness of Jerry Doyle's voiceovers in this episode. Edgar's in his interview with Garibaldi is so boring. However, like Garibaldi, I was also, actually asked to define happiness during a second interview for a well-paying job, standing before a panel of old people, I said that ultimate happiness should be to serve on the Enterprise D. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you please tell me you did not answer in this way, dude. They he, won't take you I seriously. I got the job. <laughs> Well, they were not Trekkies, I soon realized, (laughs) since most of them were super old-looking. I think uh, some thought I was referring to the World War II battleship. (laughs) At, At that point, I thought it best not to clarify. I simply elaborated on how I believed in serving a morally sound leader who stood for and fought for enacting exemplary and just ideals. I got the job. Thank you, Captain Picard. <laughs> <laughs> and to Garibaldi's Adventures in Mars, I issue JNS a big, fat, anti-thank-you. Sci-Fi 7 TV 1. Wow. Keep it rocking in the SLC dudes, Ambassador Brainy Smurf. Wait, when did he become ambassador? He declared himself ambassador
1: to the dark side. You don't remember that? Oh,
0: right, okay. I thought we had to <laughs> somehow made him the ambassador for Trek Quest V. You didn't gainsay him, and I i felt okay letting it go. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he's ambassador to the dark side, that's fine. Um, uh, brainy, uh, uh, money moneybags. Uh, exercise of vital powers. Boring. <laughs> Let's watch Garibaldi talk to an old man about politics. Edgar says they need to work from within the system. This is a sentiment we will hear repeated by others. Which system would that be, guys? The system that Clark runs? Perhaps they could work through the Senate. Wait, Clark, Clark disbanded them. Go public on ISN? Oops, Clark controls that. What are they going to do? Start a blog? Sheridan is clearly in the right here. A final nitpick. Lise complains Garibaldi is married to the job. And Edgar's, the richest man in the galaxy, isn't? Well, he doesn't seem to spend a lot of time reading the paper and basically doing nothing. TV 4, Sci-Fi 4. And then, I just realized he included comments for Face of the Enemy. He added one more in here that we shouldn't yep, have. That's next week. Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> no, only just, kidding. Just, just sit, hold them over. <laughs> uh, Joey, for science fiction, what say um, you? A four, and that's being generous. There's some telepath stuff in here. I'm going to go with four as well. Uh, we do have Mars,
2: yeah,
0: telepaths, okay, yeah, um, yeah I, four. Television three
1: <laughs> this is a really heavy episode not a lot to just enjoy in it
0: yeah uh would you care to read uh, what we have here three <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah, joey and i gave the exact same thing that doesn't it,
1: happen all that often it,
0: it doesn't um but we're exactly right on this is kind of lame television here I,
1: I i understand what he's trying to do he he's had so many action-heavy episodes that he's trying to, you know, pull us back a little bit, and we're we're he's really trying to get the audience to buy into Garibaldi. He wants us to care about
0: what's happening to Garibaldi. Yeah, I don't that, think that's, any of us do. That's it this not going to happen. Yeah. And what's more, I don't care about Edgar's at all. He's I don't find him interesting in the slightest. He's the richest man in the world, and he just kind of does what he wants. <laughs> Okay. Wow. You're not even jealous of him? No. Oh. Not I mean, at all. I mean, the guy's got some serious eyebrows, man. <laughs> <laughs> True. True. Uh, what about the uh, P5 rating?
1: 8.62. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of The Homestarmy Presents Trek West 5. We hope that you've learned something, had some laughs, and we always invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at com. Or you can tweet us at hashtag TrekWest5 or call and leave us a voicemail at 801-788-4913. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And thanks for listening.